episode 172 of the Throwdown Thursday podcast, part of the Dorkening Network, and brought to you by Deadly Grounds Coffee. I am your host, Patsy the Angry Nerd, and uh, with me as always here in uh, the Pat Cave of Magenta Manor is my co-host on the show and my co-host in life. She is the real housewife of Transylvania, the mistress of Merlot, the Michael Phelps of wine, and the queen of the monsters. Ladies and gentlemen, it's Ashes Von Nightmare. Happy Ashtober, everyone. Yeah, it is Ashtober, and as such, we have been uh, really, really busy. So ever since October started, we've just been going nonstop. And uh, this past weekend was was no different. Ashley, what did we do this past weekend? We did a lot. So, I don't know, did we do anything Friday night? I feel like we Friday did. night. No, we didn't. No, we were going to, no, but we were, we were like, to, we need to be up early didn't. tomorrow. So, Saturday afternoon, we had the pleasure of attending one of the segments of the Sean and Shay Film Festival. Block one. Uh, yeah, it was horror shorts. Mm-hmm. Saw a bunch of like two hours worth of just really great horror short films. You saw like 12. Yeah, it was, and they were no more than, I want to say 10, 8 to 10 minutes long. Some of them were shorter. Some of them were like 3, 4. Uh, I think the longest one was like 11, 12 minutes, if that. Well, I mean, we weren't keeping track. We're just trying to estimate. Uh, but it was great. We saw some very talented people, both in front of and behind the camera. And, and not to mention some veterans as well as some rookies out there. Uh, actually, I think uh, between the two of us, our our uh, our favorite film was probably Firstborn. Uh, yes. Yeah, that's it. especially for uh, for entertainment value. Definitely not an affront to anyone else because it was really difficult trying to pick out like what our best uh, or, or our favorite one is. Um, but I, I think that was easily the funniest because you know some of them are you know had some humor in them, but most of them are straight up horror. Uh, but the audience was great as well. Like there were some very like vocalized reactions to some of these films and i feel like that's what you want you're getting so engrossed in the writing and the acting and the cinematography of these short films that when something happens when the twist happens or or you know you you see who the killer is if there's a killer or the uh point of the film is is revealed to you some of it was quite shocking um yeah and Put it this way, you know, these these folks really knew what they were doing as far as creating, uh, you know, scary, thought-provoking horror films. And there was one jump scare, only one jump scare that I can actually remember out of the entire block. And half of the audience jumped, including some veteran filmmakers. So uh, if you want to hear more about this, I go into much more detail over on uh, Shark Bites, which uh, I've shared. And uh, apparently some of the uh, filmmakers have also shared. So. You know, definitely uh, check that out if you want to get more in depth, because we also had an event that we went to uh, sponsored by BMG Events, who's sponsoring an upcoming event, which you'll hear about in our uh, ad section. But uh, yeah, we we did a lot. But I like I said, I, I covered it on Shark Bite. So check it out over there. That's called a, a, a teaser, folks. It's uh, kind of like giving you a little bit, a little taste. First taste is free. Now you got to go and check out Shark Bites to 
to get the rest of your fix. But just kind of like as an aside, if you are a fan of films and the filmmaking process or you just like to be entertained, going to a small independent film festival, I, I highly recommend it. Uh, you, it's, it's affordable and you see some really good quality stuff, you know, with, with ideas that are so new and fresh. And I think, you know, some of these films are stuff that maybe have been brought up in conversation, but to, to actually see it in front of you, you know, it's, it's some of this is stuff that hasn't been done before. And I would also uh, recommend if you, uh, if you can um, check out our episode 153, planting the Trinity of micro cinema seeds, because our guest Skip Shea is the one who puts on this whole event. And uh, he talks a little bit about the Shauna Shea film festival and even though it just ended, they are already taking submissions for uh, next year's film festival. So definitely go and check those guys out, if, yep. especially if you are an aspiring filmmaker. Um, there were people, uh, one of the, the first film we saw, Midnight, was a foreign film. That was a film from uh, a foreign foreign creator. So definitely check that out. So what are we talking about this week? What's this week's slasher topic? What's your favorite scary movie? It was the worst impression. <laughs> that creepy? Aren't ever. you so creeped out right now? A um, um, little bit. We're talking about Ghostface from the Scream franchise. So we uh, we recently rewatched the movies uh, because it had been a while. Actually, it had it had been a hot minute since I've seen those films. I had not seen the second or third one, and barely remembered the first. Barely remembered the fourth. So. Rewatching them all over again, uh, I couldn't remember anything who was in it. And I love the first one. I remember uh, actually the first one is one of the first horror films that I've actually I, I sat through. I saw. I watched it uh, over. It was over my cousin's house. Um, she was. I think she was laid up for some reason. Uh, she broke her foot or she she did something and she had two boys that she needed help with that summer. So she was like, hey, I'll pay you to pretty much come and, and babysit and help me around the house. And That's pretty when they deal. were, you know, down for naps and stuff, she was like, hey, let's watch movies. So obviously I took the opportunity to watch movies that my parents wouldn't normally let me watch. And we watched scream and i remember we watched halloween she actually took me to see halloween h2o in theaters Ooh, nice. i think that was the first horror film that i had seen in theaters uh so yeah she kind of helped um helped uh you know, spur you along yeah helped get, get a little a little acquainted with the horror genre but yeah scream so i have really fond memories of scream and i love scream uh, the second film is decent. The third film is just. Dense. I didn't. I in I thought opinion, it was all right. It's it's garbage. Well, it's also it's the garbage. first one not written by uh, Kevin Williamson, who wrote the other two, but it was still directed by uh, Wes, Wes Craven. Craven yeah, and it's I think one of the only franchises where all of the films are directed by the same director. It, there's it's very rare that that happens. We talked about that last week with Hatchet, mm -hmm. um, and the only other one I can think of is. Uh, the three from hell trilogy, the Rob zombie firefly trilogy, yep. obviously. Uh, but yeah, like we were talking about before, see for a lot of different reasons, if you have the same killer over and over again, or the same character killing uh, in your movie, they'll be played by different characters. Uh, but you know, for this franchise, you know, one of the reasons why we wanted to cover Ghostface is because 
each film, it is a different, uh, it's a different person under the masks, which I thought was really interesting. So that's part of the reason why I wanted to cover him. And speaking of the mask, the mask is this iconic mask now. And every time you see it, you recognize it instantly. Like, you know, Jason Taki mask and, you know, uh, the Michael Myers, William Shatner mask. And the funny thing about that is it was supposed to just be this generic looking mask. They wanted to find something that didn't right. stand out. Well, we can get back, uh, get into that during our Well, that's what discussion. I'm, that's what I'm, I'm segueing into your thing. So because it ended up becoming iconic, you came up with a question for our getting into character segment. Right. So like you said, Jason has his iconic hockey mask. Michael Myers is known for the white painted William Shatner mask. Mariah Carey mask. <laughs> yeah. Ghostface is iconic for the, you know, scream ghost face mask. So if you are a slasher villain, what would your iconic look be? Oh, that's easy. I would have a shark mask. But like any specific shark, any specific color, like wh where where are we going here? Well, see, I would have. Uh, would it be would it be kind of like a like a helmet type mask where you have like the shark fin at the top? So you know, I've thought about this a lot. You know, because I eventually want to get a motorcycle. Is it because you eventually want to be a serial killer? No, <laughs> no I would not like that. I am a law abiding citizen for any law of enforcement officials listening to this. I like apple pie and being lawful. I like apple pie. So I I've, I want to get a a motorcycle eventually. I'm hoping by my 40th birthday or somewhere thereabouts I can get a motorcycle and um I've seen all these like really cool helmets that they do, you know, like the, the Iron Man helmet, the Predator helmets and all that, that they turn into, you know, uh, street safe and road legal uh, uh, helmets that you can wear. And they have shark ones. And um, I've seen some really cool designs. So probably something like that it has to be something uh, through which I can see, but which at the same time will obscure my face uh, because you know, you the last thing you want to do is if you're chasing somebody down, trip and fall over is something. Very important, yeah. Uh, it also has to be something that's breathable. Uh, it also has to be something that you know should your victim fight back. Like I have all these like you know foam shark heads, but that's not going to help if someone like pushes me down a flight of stairs or like you know whacks me in the head with a beer bottle or, or a, a, a pipe or something. You know, so you would need some sort of you know reinforcement reinforced structure because we see that happen multiple times with you know the in the series with the killer where you know he's getting smacked around uh so it would have to be something durable so yeah probably like a a motorcycle helmet with some kind of shark design you know big teeth you know kind of like the old world war ii planes you know kind of like kind of like something like that is what i would go with okay so what about you um so i don't think i put in that much thought to my to my look I was kind of thinking something along the lines of like the masks that they wear in the strangers or, you know, like those, those plastic masks that have the makeup and stuff on them just enough to obscure your face. And then I got to thinking, Oh my God, do you remember those plastic masks that came with the costumes in the eighties? They had like different characters. Like you could be Minnie. Actually, I think I was Minnie Mouse one year. I had the plastic Minnie Mouse and then it came with the, I think even the clothing that came with, like the costume that came with it was kind of like a plastic vinyl material. Um, 
But how cool would it be to be a, a slasher villain and wear one of those iconic 80s masks? Like, I could have a gem mask and be like, the gem-faced killer. She's truly outrageous as she stabs you to death. Yeah, that would be a uh, you know truly outrageous murderer full of you know flash. Oh, the headlines pizzazz. that could be had. <laughs> oh yeah, she murders her villains with such pizzazz. Mm-hmm. She clearly was a misfit growing up, you know stuff like that. So we want to know what you would do. Yeah, what, what would is your? Is there an iconic mask that's already out there that you would want to wear? Would you create your own? What would your iconic slasher villain look be? Definitely hit us up on the social medias and let us know. Probably got people running around there with the Sandor Clegane masks, um, which would be kind of cool, I guess. So, yeah. uh, So with that being said, we're going to go ahead and take a quick break and uh, play a new ad for you that has never, ever been heard before. Unless you listen to Shark Bites, which, uh, according to my statistics, 17 of you have. So uh, thank you to you 17 folks, and uh, hopefully more folks out here will check it out. But you sure it wasn't your mom 17 times? My mom would not listen to the podcast. <laughs> so, yeah, we'll be right back after these short messages. Everyone thinks because you're a zombie, you don't know good coffee. Well, they're wrong. We have very active lifestyles. It's not all wandering the countryside aimlessly or scaring passing motorists. We all love a good cup of joe. And there's only one brew that gets my seal of approval. Deadly Grounds Coffee is my guilty pleasure. Bold, robust, delicious. It's coffee that can wake the dead. (laughs) With over a dozen different roasts and flavors, Deadly Grounds can satisfy the most finicky of coffee addicts. The aroma is so intoxicating. It brings all of my neighbors out of the woodwork. Deadly Grounds Coffee. Coffee to die for and zombie approved. It's good to get a little deadly. Saturday, November 9th at 6 p.m. at Platinum City Gaming in Taunton, Massachusetts. It's the Dead of Autumn Horror Festival. Halloween may be over, but we live the horror life all year long. BMG events, in cooperation with It Came From The 508 Productions, is bringing you this unique event featuring filmmakers, actors, vendors, podcasters, and more including the world premiere of the second film in the Ties That Bind series, The Box. Tickets are $10 and available at the door or through the event page. Follow BMG Events, it came from the 508, and throw down Thursday podcast on Facebook for all the latest updates. The Dead of Autumn Horror Festival. Missing out would be a grave mistake. And we're back. And uh, that you just heard was, of course, the iconic voice of Roger Jackson asking what your favorite scary movie is. Not so, as iconic as mine. What's your favorite scary movie? You sound like if if like a gremlin was trying to do an impression <laughs> of E.T. trying to do an impression <laughs> of the scream voice. That's how you sound. I'm going to talk like this for the rest of the episode. I will Hello, edit out Steve. all of your audio. 
Hello, Sydney. I'm gonna stab you. So the thing that I think sets uh, sets this character apart, you know, in a lot of ways, is the fact that while it's the same character, it is obviously different actors portraying uh, Ghostface, but it's also <clears throat> different characters under you know behind the mask you know with with like again it's always michael myers under that william shatner mask it's always jason Voorhees under that hockey mask you know this character is you know it could be one person it could be another person in fact in three of the four movies it's two two people. people right it's such a different trope for a slasher film to take and i think that's what really sets it apart from other films you know the ghost face killer is an iconic look it's an iconic villain but different actors different characters have portrayed the ghost face killer i look at ghost face the way i look at james bond it's a mantle or a title that anyone can take up if you have the right qualifications and the right motivations like the president of the united states no no we're not no no No, we're talking fictional characters, although it feels like we're living like in some sort of... Like the president of the United States. Like we're living in some sort of <laughs> dystopic fucking reality right now. But I think that um, the tropes that it it does follow, um, it really sets forth in the first film. And it touches base on in each of the following films. Like the third film, it it's your typical trilogy and it sets it up like your the you know typical third film the last film of a trilogy i mean ultimately they went on to make a fourth film quadrilogy um but i think that again what sets this apart is you enter each film not knowing who i mean you know the killer is going to be ghostface but you don't know who ghostface is going to be or what their motives exactly are so in the in the first film, if you like, there were clues because Wes Craven is that type of guy, and Wes Craven actually makes a cameo in as the janitor wearing the Freddy sweater and fedora, which I thought was pretty funny. <laughs> um, what he does is um, he plants seeds, and if you pay attention to the things that are going on, you know you can figure out who the killer is. One of the keys to figuring out who is the is behind the ghost face mask is the shoes. If you pay attention to the shoes and he does that in the next couple of movies as well. But it's it's a false trail. It's a red herring because the shoes have nothing to do with it. Uh, So that's a nice touch. So the first film, you know, we're introduced to our exposition machine, Jamie Kennedy, who lays out all the rules of of. uh, horror movies you know the virgin always dies and you know this person the virgin lives lives, you know lot always dies. yeah don't drink don't you know have sex don't do drugs don't say i'll be right back because those are all signs that you're going to die so you know they set that out and of course all these things happen you know and they they go along in a certain order uh and he does throw you off Throughout the series, there's a few fake deaths, a few fake out deaths. You think someone's dead, but they're really not. And they come back and, oh, it was them the whole time. So the first film, we find out there are two killers, which kind of throws everything off. Mm-hmm. And uh, do we want to get into who? I mean, the film has been out for 13... 23 years. 23? 20, really? 23. 20, what am I thinking of? Oh, my God. 23. It's 
been on for 23 years at this point. So, the film, I the mean, Scream can I legally can... drink and rent a car and a carpet right, shampooer. Right. So uh, the killers are found out to be Billy Loomis. Who Skeet is, Ulrich. Yeah. Played by Skeet Ulrich, who is Sidney Prescott's boyfriend. And his friend, Stu Macher, uh, played by Matthew Lillard. Now, Billy wanted to kill Sidney because they had actually killed Sidney's mother, Maureen. Which was blamed on Cotton, who was played by Liev Schreiber. Right. Um, and they wanted to kill Sidney around the anniversary of her mother's death, death as like a like payback, like the, the, the final you know, nail in the coffin well, to, to say. to frame up, like they wanted to get away with it. So right. they were framing her father. Right. So they were, they were going to be the last two survivors. So they actually stabbed each other to make it seem like they were hurt. That was a great scene. It was a great scene. Oh, and Matthew, man, you got Matthew, too deep. Matthew Lillard is just fantastic in that scene. And fun fact, he ad-libbed a lot of his lines. And he Wes like Craven just loved it so much that he's like, yeah, you know what? Just, you know, keep it, it in the movie. Just keep it. Let it go. Let, let's keep, you know, keep rolling. So they um, had a they had a great plan, but they didn't account for Courtney Cox's character. And they fell victim to the classic blunder that the hero always falls. They didn't check the body to make sure it was dead. They didn't double check they took their eyes off of you know the victim for a second because she ends up escaping their clutches at the end like you think it's all over and she's right there uh and they've got her and they turn their attention away for a second and she takes off so she's one of my favorite final girls for a lot of reasons and we see this throughout the entire series that she fights back one of my favorite things about this character of ghostface is that it's very realistic like they're not just this supernatural oh, they take punches, right? They... That's what I'm trying to say. Like they're not just this unstoppable supernatural force. They fall. They trip over things. They go to swing wildly with the things, knife and right, miss. Right, right, right. Things aren't perfectly executed. They'll trip and they'll fall trying to chase after you know their victim, as opposed to their you know just stalking them and the victim falls and can't get up and you know and Sydney especially fights back a lot like. You know, smashing stuff over their head or, you know, pushing them down. Kicking, punching. Kicking, yeah. Stabbing, shooting. Like, there's a lot of, like, fight in the, the, uh, in Sydney. And she talks a lot of shit, too. Oh, yeah. Like, so she's one of my favorite final girls. Like, she's not like a, a Jamie Lee Curtis in the first couple of Halloween movies where she's kind of like, I'm scared, but I'll fight back at the very last second if I absolutely have to. No, like she has fight in her from the beginning. Yeah, she um, and, wants no I mean, shit. She's played by Nev Campbell, who's just absolutely, she's a 90s goddess. And like, part of it is great. they taunt her mercilessly before they kill her. They're always monologuing and taunting her. Always. So that pisses her off and makes her want to fight even more. Right. But getting back to their motives. So Billy's mother left and Billy thought it was he she just abandoned him. But yeah, come they went to through find a out yeah. it was Sydney's mother, Maureen, who they killed, remember that, um, who had an affair with Billy's father, and that's why his mother left. And so he was blaming the whole situation on Maureen and ultimately taking it out on on Sydney. 
and and obviously her dad because they were going to frame her dad right because like they had already just, framed cotton for the first moment he pretty right. much just wanted to take their entire family down for what the mother mm-hmm. did to his his family and uh matthew lillard's character was just in it because of peer pressure which i love i love that he even said because he's like he bleeding and yeah. she calls him on the phone using the voice modulator and he's like she's like why'd you do this and he's like peer pressure you know because he's bleeding out and he's starting to get delirious but it's like it's a funny scene and this is what i was talking about like earlier in the first segment about some uh you know, it's a horror film, but there's some comedic elements to it that don't. It doesn't take away from the 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 the, the fear factor or the the overall horror vibe, but it adds to it because right. like, of what it's happened. It's not overly campy, but it just adds a little more depth to the scene, I think, and, and you know, gives you some character development. Right, right, because I mean, we all know people like that. Because <laughs> I mean, he was kind of a dick throughout most of the movies. So. Right, but it's like he reminded me, because they're all in high school, he reminded me of some of the dudes that I went to high school with. You know? Yeah, so I think a lot of high school movies will do that. You're like, alright, that was that guy, and that was this girl, and that's who that was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And speaking of the high school students, so they never actually come out and say that the masked villain the killer is named Ghostface. It's actually Rose McGowan's character, Tatum, who is taunting him, thinking that he's she's cornered in the garage. It, they're at a because party. Because her boyfriend is Stuart and she thinks it's Stuart. And right, it probably right. was. So um, you know, taunting one of the partygoers who corners her in the garage, wearing the Ghostface get up, and she's, you know, calling him, Oh, you know, you're gonna come get me, Mr. Ghostface and so that's where that comes from. The name from. just stuck. It just, yeah, people started calling it Ghostface and it just stuck. Like it was never intended to have a name. Uh, it, that's just, that's what people latched onto and that's what happened. Well, it's like Pinhead was never Pinhead. pinhead. He was right, that's just, lead Cenobite. That's right, how he was credited. Right, but people kept calling him Pinhead. Because and of the nails driven through his skull. Right. So if you don't give a name to something... You're you're kind of asking for trouble because that's how you get Bodie McBoatface. <laughs> so you have to be you have to be really careful about you know it's like you want your character to be mysterious and that makes sense. It shouldn't have an identity because it's so many different people. Um, but there you have it. So then we move on to the the second film. It takes place uh, a year or two later. It, the movie came out, it was 1996, 1997, 2000, and 2011. So the timelines of the movie are a little off, but you know, whatever, it's a movie. And now uh, Gail, who is uh, Courtney Cox's character, has written a book about the events because she's a sleazy tabloid reporter, but she's written a book, got herself famous, and the book was optioned into a film. And fun fact, in the movie, it's called Stab. It says, you know, directed by Robert Rodriguez. Well, all the scenes that are in the movie, like, you know, Sydney is played by uh, Tori Spelling, Spelling. Which is funny because and, it's referenced in the first one. And Billy is played by a young Luke Wilson. Um, all those scenes that are from Stab were actually filmed by Robert Rodriguez, which is why he gets a director credit for Stab. That's awesome. So it's like the movie within the movie, which is... I. I just thought was a, a cool touch. I found that out earlier today doing some research. But everybody's dressed up in ghost face, you know, because everybody gets uh, costumes and it's Omar Epps and Vivica Fox going on a date. Jada Pinkett Smith. Jada Pinkett. I don't know why the hell I said Vivica. I'm thinking stabbing and 
she got killed in Kill, Kill Bill. Bill. I'm thinking Stabby. Um, so, oh, you know what else? Because she was married to Will Smith in uh, Independence Day. It's it, six degrees of Kevin Bacon. Yes, the, yep. the theory of centrality. So she goes, Jada Pinkett goes, and um, they were going to go see a uh, Sandra Bullock movie, but instead he talked her into going to see the new Stab movie because the tickets were free. So it's Omar Epps, you know, from House, most likely. That's what he was on for a long time. Um, and they go to see the movie. He's like, well, I'm going to run to the bathroom. And he gets killed. Everybody's wearing ghost face robes and masks. Everybody. And they all have glow-in-the-dark knives because uh, they were the theater ushers were handing them out. You know, it must have been like premiere night. Well, I mean, like, it's kind of a, a caricature to the... Like Star it, Wars movies. hysteria surrounding Americans' love of not only just horror, but like serial killers, real-life killers, true crime, you know? And this was even back in the late 90s. Well, the only time I've ever seen a, a theater like this with a bunch of people dressing up as a character, usually it's different characters, but, you know, because if you're going to cosplay, you're, not everyone's going to cosplay is the same thing. And this is really before cosplay was a big thing. The only time I ever saw this in real life was when I went to see The Phantom Menace in 1999. And even then, there was maybe like a half dozen people. And put it this way, me and my two friends that went to see this, we were going to bring our lightsabers in, but we didn't want to seem too nerdy. (laughs) That's how different Patsy at 18 was from Patsy at 38. So just throwing that out there. That's a little glimpse into the past. I didn't want to seem too nerdy. So I didn't bring my lightsaber to a Star Wars movie, as opposed to when we went to see Force Awakens, and I had to leave my lightsaber in the car. Because they wouldn't let you bring it in. Because it was my nice Force Effects lightsaber, and it wasn't a $3 Darth Maul replica from KB Toys. But I also think it's uh, commentary on the fact that the Ghostface Halloween costume, I believe it, it it was the number one selling costume in the U.S. And it's still one of the top selling costumes in the U.S. It was like everybody who dressed up as the crow trying to get girls at parties. Mm, they call me Eric Draven. I'm just like going to brood in the corner. Can't rain all the time. So everybody's dressed up. Omar Epps gets killed. So like, and this is like stretching the 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 uh, limits of credulity in this part because he hears something in a bathroom and he puts his ear to the stall, gets stabbed through the stall into his face. So the killer had to know that Omar Epps was going to leave his girlfriend, go into the stall, realize that two of the urinals, the only two urinals in the theater would be occupied, so he would go into the stall, make noise so that he would put his head against the stall, know exactly where the stall was, and then slam a four-inch knife through this and into his face and kill him. Then go into the theater, find his girlfriend, and kill her in front of everyone. After putting on his jacket. Yeah. Because he was wearing a very nice jacket. He was also wearing and... the ghost face mask at that point. Well. Right. So he blended but, in with the crowd. Right. But he put on the jacket mm-hmm. so he could, you know, nonchalantly sit next to her and she wouldn't. And it turned out that they had the same names as the first two victims in the first movie. But like, 
that's a lot of planning. Like you're right, talking. Like, how did you know? How uh, you're talking like, ESP ESP levels of like psychic ability here. That's where like the suspension of disbelief kind of has to come into play with that's horror why I films. Said, strains the limits of credulity because you know these are you know these two characters are pretty much two randos, and then ultimately everyone else killed at that you know. Um, throughout the rest of the film has ties with Sydney Prescott's character and is in the relative location of where she is on the campus of, of the college and stuff. So it makes sense, but you know, it, it always bugged me that like these two randos, you know, it's like, how, how do you know? How, do, will, how do you know? Like, is it coincidence though, or? Eh. I will say this when it comes so, to the suspension of bis- disbelief, some of the things that kind of helped this along, like, David Arquette's Dewey gets stabbed in the spine in the first movie. And then in the second movie, we see him like kind of almost like he's got cerebral palsy, like kind of holding his arm up and like limping along. Well, that's actually because Wes Craven didn't know if he wanted to kill the character off, which is why he kind of left it open ended at the first film. And then when doing the second film, because a lot of people loved David Arquette's portrayal. He was really good. You know, it receives such a positive response. He decided that okay, Dewey's not dead. You know, but, but he is. He's going to be up. injured, right? But he's... they all got jacked up, and they all got hurt. Even Sydney. Um, you know, she fell. She like rolled off the roof and onto the boat. You know, onto Bodie McBoatface. Bodie McBoatface, and you know, so she was hurt but not incapacitated. You know, and we see that. Uh, with the exception of the third one where she gets hit in the face about 40 times and gets her face smashed into a counter and just has like a small cut at the corner of her mouth. Other than that, like when someone sustains damage, they sustain like you'll see a bruise, you'll see a cut, you'll see blood, you'll see everything. They'll be limping. They'll be, you know, kind of clearly gently, right. You know, gently coddling the, the area that they've been. Yeah, they're very beaten in. It's like, oh, that's very tender. I got stabbed there. So obviously there's a ghost face killer in the second film and it's revealed to be a guy named Mickey who is portrayed by Timothy Oliphant. So good. Um, who is Derek. Derek's friend. Derek is played by Jerry O'Connell. Who uh, is Derek is Sidney Prescott's boyfriend. Yes. So again, six degrees of Kevin Bacon. So Mickey reveals himself to be the killer and he's just seeking fame and pretty much just he'd already to planned exploit. to get away with it because right. he was going to blame it because this was a recurring theme throughout the film of movies cause violence and they were talking about that after the first two people were killed in the theater and they're like oh movies cause violence movies cause violence movies because that was around the time that mortal Kombat came out 1994 so this was you know you know movies cause this you know um you know, movies are violent, video games are violent, and they cause violence. You know, anything to, you know, deflect from the guns. Everything mm-hmm. else causes violence, not guns. So that was, you know, a, a hot topic at the time. It would become hotter two years later uh, after Columbine. Was that that was in ninety nine? Correct. That Columbine was ninety nine. Yes. Yeah. Um. So you had, you know, th- this whole thing and. That was Timothy Oliphant's whole motive was, I'm going to do this. I'm going to kill you. I'm going to get famous 
but I'm going to get away with it because I'm going to say the movies did it. Right. I'm going to use the scapegoat that everyone else is utilizing. And how can they say that I'm wrong? Because everyone is using the scapegoat at this point. And we, we see his partner, who is Laurie Metcalf's Debbie Salt. But Debbie Salt is not her real name. No, she is actually Mrs. Loomis, Billy Loomis's mother. Billy obviously being the first killer. And... and- First, first like, ghost face. Yes. Um, wanting to seek revenge for her son's death. Right. So, and Sydney kind of turns that on her. She's like, wait a minute. He got mad at me because my mother had an affair with your husband. And as a result, you abandoned him. And because you abandoned him, he wanted to kill me and my mother. But because he tried to kill me, I defended myself and killed him but you abandoned him why do you give a shit now mm-hmm. like why do you care now and she raised you know not raised but kind of uh brought under her wing mickey and apparently he was already a serial killer like he had he had killed people before and she kind of recruited him and like got him to play this role of ghostface so he could get away with everything and like he would get the fame and fortune because that was another recurring theme because Liev Schreiber's character got out of prison after the first film. And all he wanted was to kind of talk with Sydney because he ended up being like a fame whore. That's all he wanted was fame. He's like, Oh, Diane Sawyer wants to talk to us. You know, oh, we can go on. And that's kind of what convinces him at the end to do the right thing. You know, it's yeah. Sydney's like, I will, I will, give you that interview. I will Because Laurie Metcalf you. has a knife to her throat and right. Liev Shriver's standing there. Like we're not gonna get into the whole confrontation, but like it basically hinges on is like, well, okay, I'll do the interview if you if you kill the lady with a knife to my throat. Mm-hmm. So uh that was an interesting twist. So the third film is an aberration because uh at this point Jamie Kennedy's character, uh, Randy, is dead, but somehow left a video will just in case this happened, which... Just in case this happens to be a trilogy, this is what happens I do want to point out that the first two films were very consistent because it was the same writer, the same director. Scream 3 was not written by the same writer. Scream 3 was uh, still directed by Wes Craven, of course, but in this instance, it was written by Aaron Kruger. So Kevin Williamson wrote the first two, but Aaron E-H-R-E-N Kruger wrote the movie based on the characters that Kevin Williamson and, and Wes Craven had created. And really, in my opinion, Scream 3 is more like Stab. like stab, It's almost like a caricature of these characters, what was established yes. in the first two films. And... Which is which is you know kind of funny because they're in the process of filming Stab Three, so Scream Three is fil- uh, Stab Three. You know it's kind of funny, um, and some of these the characters who are portraying the characters. So you know the character, the actress who's portraying Sydney Prescott, uh, Parker Posey is playing a character who is portraying Gail Weathers. See what the thing that it's like a movie in a movie. It's movie inception. The thing that bugged me about this one, though, a lot is that they were they were doing Scream Three. Now, Stab One came, came out, out in Scream Two, correct? 
So, if anything, Scream 3 should have been stabbed Stab 2. Although we do see in... There is a significant time jump between the two. Right, but what events is Stab 3 focusing on if the first the first stab is focusing on Scream 1, so then the second one should be focusing on Scream 2. Again, this is why and if you're watching these films, feel free to skip the third one. It's no, I liked the third one. I thought it was uh, done very it was differently. Painful because, to watch. See, I disagree. Jenny I thought McCarthy's it was good. in it, and she's yeah, but just she's the not worst. in it for that long, and she gets wrecked. This is true. Um, Her death is quite satisfying. But the uh, the thing is, they. <sighs> They, they stab they, her with vaccines. Yeah. They vaccinate <laughs> her against measles and then she dies. Um, no, like the whole thing with having the same writers and the same director come back for one, two, and four. But um, for in the fourth movie, like they really, I don't want to say they jumped the shark, but it's supposed to take place about 10 years later. And the opening scene, we see, who is it? It's... Veronica Mars and Rogue, um, Anna Paquin and Kristen Bell. And Kristen Bell, like they're watching Stab Six, and Kristen Bell kills Anna Paquin, and then you find out that it's Stab Seven. You know, kind of like a commentary on like how long these franchises, and that's kind of what I was talking about with Stab Three being in the third movie. It's like, well, what did they base? What are they basing the third one on? Well, I don't think it really makes it's it's you know but, trying to take these events and stretch them as far as they'll go. Right, but after a I while, you just it take is. it it's, into ridiculous directions, I mean, like leprechaun in space. Right, I was gonna say there's there's leprechaun in space. There's leprechaun in the hood, then space, then back to the hood. They're about to do. They're filming the seventh Tremors, which I'm very excited about, by the way. And then they have you know Jason in space, Hellraiser in space. All of these things. So well, and then they start crossing franchises. So you have Freddy versus Jason, and well, that's really the only franchise. Alien thing. versus Predator. It's crazy. It's madness. Make it stop. Next will be Alien versus Predator in space. Oh, that would make sense. Um, <laughs> Actually, I think that was a thing. No. Oh no, they were they were they on were on Earth. Earth. Whoever wins, we lose. So back to uh, Scream Three. Um, it's got a really good cast. Again, Roger Corman, Lance Henriksen, you know, a lot of people doing like little uh, cameos. One of the things I didn't realize in Scream 2, uh, Linda Blair was in it. Like, real, yeah, real yeah, quick. Really quick. Real quick, Linda Blair, you know, as a reporter yelling stuff. Yeah. Um, so these have always had excellent casts. And then, you know, we see uh, one of the things we see in each movie is, you know, as it progresses to the next one, there's always like a pretty vicious murder at the beginning the one thing throughout the entire movies and i i watched a timeline movie about this today it's a uh, movie timelines check them out on youtube they do some really great work um and the guy brought up a great point so many times in this franchise ghostface is calling someone on the phone and he's like in a closet or in the next room or like right outside the door What's your favorite scary movie? And the thing is, if someone called you on the phone and they were in the next room or they were hiding in a closet in the room, you'd hear them speaking. I'm just calling to see how you're doing. So you would hear them speaking in addition to hearing them on the phone. So it would give away their position. So that's another one of those like suspension of disbelief things that you have to do. Like, 
it's you know it's something you know obviously it worked because it's not something that I thought of until this guy brought it up in the video that I watched. So well done, Wes Craven. But you know it's just one of those weird things. Now I just want to throw one more thing out there. Um, the parody of this film obviously is called Scary Movie. This was originally supposed to be called Scary Movie because of how you know the all the tropes and stuff that they break down. I was going to say, it's funny that you mentioned the whole voice recorder uh, closet not being able to hear things. Yeah, because Kevin McAllister did that in Home Alone 2. In the third film, what kind of sets this apart from the other films, aside from having a different writer and whatnot, is the fact that Ghostface doesn't use the typical Ghostface voice. It actually has a recorder that has stored voices in it. So it can sound like Sidney Prescott. It can sound like Dewey. It can sound like Gail Weathers. It can sound like any of the other characters. The director. So, you know, you think that you're talking to somebody, uh, the person that you think you're talking to versus the killer. Right. And this also, while the premise is really cool, the movie uh, doesn't age as well as it might like. Because anytime you incorporate a piece of technology as an important aspect of your film and like something that kind of drives the plot, like, why was Billy a, a major suspect in the first movie? Because he had a cell phone. Yeah, that's your oh no, they kept saying cellular. Cellular, cellular telephone. Phone. Check the cellular phone. Oh, I think he cloned his cellular telephone. Check his cellular telephone. Check his cell phone telephone. Yeah, like what was that? I don't know. <laughs> that was uh something that you know, today would be like he's got a cell phone. Yeah. Everybody my four year old has a cell phone. Like Everybody knows. Well, and and obviously, it's funny watching some of these old, I say older films, it doesn't feel like it's that old, but seeing the technology in these older films, you know, seeing the progression of cell phones, the cell phones of the 90s were a lot bigger and bulkier than the cell phones that we have now. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Cell phones started off bigger and bulkier. Then they got smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. Now they're fucking huge again because they do everything yeah, and people watch movies on them. But they're more like tablets or I believe they call them phablets. Fablets because they're so it's fabulous. It's a phone tablet. It's a phablet. It's so fab. Um, no, but they used to be big and bulky like the cordless phones. And so it's a different kind of big, different kind of bulk. All I can think of is that scene from Romy and Michelle when, when Romy's like, if you need anything, I got a phone. Um, pulls out this really big, bulky like cell phone. Or she's trying to think of the first, uh, the first use that I can remember of a cell phone being used in a movie. Uh, Lethal Weapon One, when they've got like the big like carrying case that goes along with it. I got my portable phone. Yeah, it's super portable. So, like, that's one of the things that kind of you know can date a movie. But the premise is strong enough that, like, it's still... Because there was stuff in the movie that, like, I didn't remember. Well, I mean, like, it makes you laugh. You know, the the o- overuse of the word cellular phone. It's just it's just funny. But getting back to the third one. So that the, the use of the different voice recorder definitely set the killer apart. Well, what also set the killer apart was the fact that it was only one person in this film. It wasn't two. 
which kind of goes back to what I believe his name was Randy, Jamie Kennedy's character. Randy! Said in his will, like, you know, if you're watching this, it's being set up for a trilogy. There's a trilogy, you know, there's, it's the third movie. It's the, you know, things are going to be different. You know, what you think it is, it's not. You know, there's going to be a lot of twists and turns, which there were. And this was one of the twists that the killer was only one person. Right. And, you know, again, because it's a different writer, it went in a different direction. Right. So the killer was actually revealed to be Sydney's half-brother, Roman Bridger, who was portrayed by Scott Foley. He was born to their mother, Maureen, during a two-year period when she moved to Hollywood to become an actress under the name Rena Reynolds. She gave Rowan up for adoption, and uh, he sought her out years later only to be rejected, denying she had ever been Rena. Roman began stalking Maureen and filming her relationships with other men, including Hank Loomis, Billy's dad. He used this footage to reveal to Billy why his mother had abandoned him before convincing him to kill Maureen. So he's kind of the one who started all of these events. Right. And I don't like retconning stuff like that. You know, I prefer it to be because the whole time, like you're thinking that her mother is back from the grave. So it's like, is her mother actually dead? Well, and he know? was uh, because Sidney Prescott was in hiding during this film. And in order to lure her out, he left old pictures, headshots of her mother with things written on the back. Like I killed her. Right. As bait to get Sidney to come out of hiding so he could figure out where she was and ultimately kill her, which obviously didn't happen because there's a fourth film. And in the fourth film, uh, again, the three principal characters have come back. Uh, Nev Campbell's Sidney. Um, Courtney Cox's Gale and Dewey, who has already had like three near deaths. Like he's been stabbed in the spine twice. He's been, did he get shot in the third one? I know he got stabbed again. I don't remember if he gets shot, but he, he definitely gets seriously injured again. Yeah. He's been stabbed in the back, in the lung. Like he's all kinds of jacked up. He can't be a cop anymore, but like he still has like, I can't be a cop, but I can be a good person. And he, uh, you know, he's still there. So, and all three of them make it through to the end, which is definitely um, kind of bucks the trend of these movies to begin with. Because usually if you're a final girl, like, you make it through the first movie, but then in the next movie you get killed. Like, look at Adrian King in Friday the 13th. So are you, are you calling David Arquette a final girl? No, I'm... <laughs> I'm just saying, like, this kind of... You don't see the same characters over and over and over again. You know, very rare, like, Dr. Loomis from Halloween you see in several of the movies before he finally dies. And even the time you think he dies in the fire in the second one, he doesn't die. Right. Typically, like, eventually, a, a final... The same final girl can live long enough to get through a couple of films, but usually she doesn't last the entire trilogy Generally or, or because franchise, I should say. The actor doesn't want to come back or it goes in a different it's, direction. Right, the new the, director who's taking over wants to use his own a vision. Lot of, yeah, a lot of behind the camera there's politics a lot of, and stuff. There's a yeah. lot of factors, you know, like Jamie Lee Curtis, you know, look at Halloween one and two. She lived through those two. But then Halloween 3 is not a sequel. And then Halloween 4, Halloween 5, she comes back in 
not H2O. Is it H2O? Uh, yeah, Halloween H2O. And then she gets killed at the beginning of the next one. Uh, the resurrection? Re- revelation? I don't know. There's, Halloween yes. 22, she gets... But then they ignore all that, and now she's in the next... Uh, the the one that just came out last year, and then the next it's two. The, yeah. At least I think she's in the next two. I don't know. I haven't seen I know the there's one. one. There's one that Halloween they're currently kills filming that'll be out next else. year, I believe. But anyway, so getting back to the fourth and final film, as far as we know, the Ghostface Killer emerges again in Woodsboro, California, on the 15th anniversary of the massacre conducted by Billy and Stu. The new killer recreates events from the incident, but also films the murders to create a snuff film. Uh, the Ghostface Killer kills several several teenagers and police officers before being unmasked as Sydney's cousin Jill Roberts, who is played by Emma Roberts, and her friend Charlie Walker, who is played by Rory Culkin, uh, who intended to kill Sydney, frame Jill's ex boyfriend Trevor. And become the current generation Sydney and Randy Meeks with the accompanying fame of them being the survivors of the massacre. So pretty much so Emma Roberts character, Jill, Sydney's cousin, is trying to recreate everything and kill Sydney Prescott and in return be the final girl and start up a whole new franchise ultimately. And um yeah, because like that's kind of where the final girl thing was that I was talking about was going is she wanted to be the new final girl and she wanted because she ends up in every instance that there are two killers like in the first one, uh, they both end up dying. But like Skeet Ulrich stabs Matthew Lillard, they were supposed to both live, but he uh, he went a little too deep and weakened him. And then Sydney dropped a TV on his face. And in the second one, Laurie Metcalf kills timothy oliphant you know because there can be no contradiction to her story and just in case there's you know something happens how can two villains trust each other and in the fourth one emma roberts kills rory culkin Mm -hmm. she does stab sydney but uh right again like you were saying like the our our victors don't get out unscathed like they get really jacked up but they still make it out alive and this particular uh everybody gets shot in the head everybody gets shot in the head up until emma roberts she well no she does get shot in the head but first she gets uh, electrocuted with a defibrillator on the side of her face which is a really great scene by the way so you know obviously all the killers lose at the end of each movie which is it's it's a weird trope that kind of uh that craven sort of set on its head where you know so many especially again another west craven movie nightmare on elm street the killer keeps coming back every single film he always comes back every movie and typically it's by some type of paranormal oddity or what have you some paranormal activity these films the killer comes back but again it's it's the same i it's the same killer character or I should say same killer moniker but different characters are portraying the killer. Yeah, and the one thing I think that they did really well and was uh smart again bringing the same director and the same writer back every time will vastly uh improve the quality of your film. Bringing the same while it's not the same um same actor portraying Ghostface 
Roger Jackson as the voice of the voice modulator. That was really well done, and that was a nice touch. And it's the same, I believe it's the same actor playing the ghost face. So it's not the actual actors playing ghost face. I believe it's one actor playing ghost face every time. So the movements and whatnot are, are the same throughout the entire uh, the, the franchise. But it's also the same mask. It's the same getup. It's the same, you know, look to ghost face. So nothing really changes. Right. So it's the same, it's the same look. More or less, you know, they might have to change a little bit here and there. But it's more or less the exact same look. You know, the same way that Michael Myers, it's the same basic look every time. Right. Or I Freddy Krueger, it's the same look. Obviously, with every film, they update the mask a little bit. But it's always, which they do that in, like, every franchise. Right. Well, that's what they, I'm saying. Like, even Victor Crowley look. looked different in every film because but it's, it's different makeup application each time. basis. And come to find out, the Ghostface mask was actually first developed for novelty stores during the Halloween season of like either 91 or 92 by fun world as part of a series entitled fantastic faces. And the name of the mask was actually, it was called the peanut eyed ghost. So, you know, glad they decided to rename it. Um, Producer Marianne Magdalena uh, discovered it while they were scouting locations. for the first scream film film she brought it to the attention of Wes Craven who set about trying to obtain the rights to use it fun world licensing director RJ Torbett joined fun world in 96 and was given the task of naming the mask prior to its film debut deciding on deciding on ghostface with the blessing of fun world and all that crap uh, he felt it looked like a ghost in pain so the original design of the mask bears reference to the painting The Scream. Edvard Monk. Yeah. One of the characters on the cover of Pink Floyd's album The Wall and the ghostly characters that appeared in the 1930s Betty Boop cartoon. The mask is stark white and depicts a caricature of someone screaming and crying at the same time. The designer of the mask stated that it displayed different emotions, quote, saying, it's a horrible look, it's a sorry look, it's a frantic look. Since the appearance of the ghost face in Scream, the costume has become the most worn and sold costume for Halloween in the U.S. So initially, the script labeled the main antagonist as just, quote, masked killer with no specifications to their appearance, which forced Craven and his staff to produce the costume, eventually worn by Ghostface as they were shooting. Craven asked Greg Nicotero and Howard Berger of mm, Burger. Yeah, I know, you mentioned apple pie earlier, and I'm so hungry now. Of K&B effects to produce a mask specifically for the film based on the fun world design because they weren't sure if they were going to be able to get the rights to it. But Craven didn't like the final result. However, obviously, fun world and dimension films were were able to complete an argument. uh, Sorry, not argument. An agreement. Were able to come to an agreement and gave Wes Craven the rights to use the ghost face. Well, now ghost face mask. So. And another fun fact, initially they thought of having the character be dressed in all white. Oh, so it's like a wedding. But, you know, wearing like a, a white cloak and Yeah, it doesn't, right, doesn't fit into the, the shadows that produ- well. Actually, the same producer who found the mask 
said that she didn't like the all white. It, it didn't look menacing enough. So no, it they looks ultimately angelic. went with all black. Right. Yeah. So they ultimately went with all black. And in the film, because these costumes are so readily available in the film, they actually, it's labeled as, well, I believe, Father Death. Something like it's the that. the Father Death math, uh, costume. Because they wanted it to look like something that you could just buy in a costume store. Right. And that's, again, that's what we were talking about earlier, where it was supposed to be just like this super generic thing that became this iconic thing. Kind of like, you know, the hockey mask and the... the um, the um, Michael Myers mask. So I hope you learned a few things about uh, Ghostface. What we're going to do is we're going to, unless you have anything else, do you have anything else? What's your favorite scary movie? So since she has nothing else, we'll uh, go (laughs) ahead and uh, we'll take a quick break. And when we come back, we will uh, wrap things up. We have have a new battle and uh, we have science and wine, all that good stuff. So we'll be back in just a moment. Do you have a craving for creatures, a thirst for thrills and a hunger for horror? Then you need to gorge yourself on the gore of rock and shock. That's right, Worcester's annual horror convention, Rock and Shock, comes for you from the DCU Center in Worcester, Massachusetts on October 11th, 12th and 13th. Featuring the ladies of Evil Dead, Betsy Baker, Ellen Sandweiss, and Teresa Tilly, Ray Wise, and Sherilyn Fenn of Twin Peaks, Jason Voorhees himself, Kane Hodder, John Dugan and Ed Neal of the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and making his first appearance, the legendary Bruce Campbell. Hail to the king, baby. Go to rockandshock.com for the full list as new guests are added all the time. Rock and Shock. Be there and be scared. When there is no more room in hell, the dead will walk the earth. Hi, I'm Dominic Pace, star of Sci-Fi Channel's Megalodon. This is Emma. Hi, my name is Kurando Mitsutake, director of Gun Woman and Karate Kill. Hi, this is Samantha Newark, the voice of Jem and Jerrica from the original Jem and the Holograms cartoon series. Hey guys, this is James Thomas, director of Megalodon. Hi guys, this is Dee Wallace from E.T. and Cujo. Hi, I'm Mike Price. I'm a writer on The Simpsons. I co-created Epis for Family. And you're listening to Patsy the Angry Nerd and Ashes Von Nightmare. And you're listening to Throwdown Thursday podcast. And you are listening to Throwdown Thursday. And you're listening to Throwdown Thursday. And you're listening to Throwdown Thursday. And you're listening to Throwdown Thursday podcast. And we are back. Uh, that was, of course, Scream by uh, Ozzy Osbourne. So I figured we'd throw in some themed uh, coming back from break music. So, uh, Ashes, what do we got coming up? We have a battle. I know we have a battle, but I mean, we have some other stuff coming up too, right? Yeah, but 
We usually we do battle play. first. All right, so let's let's do the battle first. Uh, here is the uh, battle theme. That, of course, was our friends from uh, Enchanted Exile. So, Ashes, what do we have for a battle? We have the masked killer melee. We are pinning Scream 1's killers, Billy Loomis and Stu Mocker, against Scream 2's killers, Mickey and Debbie Salt, also known as Billy's mother, versus the killer in Scream 3. Roman Bridger versus the killers in Scream 4, Jill Roberts and Charlie Walker. So who do you think would win in a ghost face face off? And I'll be honest, just because uh, someone has two on their team does not necessarily give them an advantage. Right. If you think about it, some of these duos, they're definitely handicapped. Because I think in a in a one on one fight. I'm pretty sure Nev Campbell could take Rory. Um, yes. Yes. Yeah. And I'm very sh- like Matthew Lillard, you can probably just blow over. I don't know. He 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 did he put up a really good fight after being stabbed repeatedly and losing a lot of blood. He still put up a good fight uh at the end. Although I'm pretty sure I could uh I could take Lori Metcalf if I really had to cuz she's uh she is not a spring chicken anymore, but I could probably uh I mean, no, Timothy Oliphant, though, that's that's a tougher one. So It's like young Timothy Oliphant, too. Yeah, but uh, can't even deal with getting shot multiple times. What a chump. But this isn't this isn't you versus them. This is in a them. team, them versus them. So who do you think would win in a face-off? And it's them in the movie. Like, it's not them, like, in real life. It's what their age is in the movie. Right. So... At the time of their death. So um, so we have science and wine facts today. So I'll, I'll go first because I found this one to be absolutely ridiculous. So because it is October and it is the season of fear, um, I decided because we're uh, talking about ghost face and, you know, it's a mask that I would give you the scientific terms for the fear of both ghosts and masks. And uh, fun fact, the... Uh, People who name fears don't generally uh, get too creative with them. Uh, so if you are afraid of ghosts, then you suffer from phasmophobia, which makes sense. Uh, but if you have a fear of masks, you uh, are afflicted by <sighs> maskophobia. So whoever whoever's, whoever the, the, the person is that normally... Uh, comes up with the cool fear names he was sick that day they were sick that day they skipped they skipped and uh you know they they asked jerry from accounting what he thought and he wasn't sure so he asked the janitor and the janitor wasn't sure so he just said mascophobia and uh there you go like hey billy what's a good name for fear of masks the mascophobia okay yeah so uh that's what i got so, uh, 
Yeah, what do you got for wine? So I have a really cool wine to talk about today. It's a brand new Apothic wine. It's a limited edition wine. So if you are interested in getting this, definitely get on it because I'm not sure how long it's going to be available, but it is only available for a limited time. Now, it took us a little bit to find it. It's slowly making its way to and I believe by now it should be pretty readily available, but I'm talking about Apothic Sparkling Red. Now, a couple of years ago, they came out with a Sparkling White that was pretty much on the same path of Prosecco, but not as sweet, a little bit drier, and it was delicious. So when they came out with a Sparkling Red, uh, my intrigue was piqued. I was super uh, excited about it, and I knew I had to hunt it down, and I had to try it, and I did. And let me tell you, I was not disappointed at all. Um, it was pretty much a, a, a big hit in our house. Yeah, I liked it a lot. Both of us really enjoyed it. I had some light, sweeter notes, which was uh, definitely more palatable for Patrick, whereas I like the drier reds, and it definitely has a nice dry undertone as well. So, the back of the bottle said, When sight is deceived, curiosity awakens. Streams of bubbles lift notes of red fruit with layers of fresh citrus, leading to a crisp finish. Masterfully crafted, unexpectedly refreshing, Apothic Sparkling Red is a limited edition sparkling red wine with a hint of mischief. It has notes of black cherry, citrus, and fresh apple. It is very light, but like I said, it is, it's also lightly sweet, but very dry on the back of the palate, which makes it a great base for a fall sangria. If you want to go for more of like a, a spiced sangria, I definitely recommend using this wine. Or for just in toasting purposes, it was we drank it on its own. It would probably pair very nicely with a bunch of dishes. So if you are interested in trying it out, if you go to the com website, you can actually see where to buy it locally. So Apothic Sparkling Red Wine, definitely worth checking out. So there's science and wine for you. We gave you a new battle. And uh, tomorrow marks the first day of Rock and Shock. So we are going to be at Rock and Shock all weekend. We're going to be doing fun stuff. We're going to be talking to people. We're going to be handing out hugs. We're going to do a live panel podcast. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. On I'm... Saturday at noon in the panel room with a bunch of other podcasts from the Dorkening Network. It's going to be amazing. I can't even begin to imagine the chaos and shenanigans that'll ensue. We're currently working on an outline for topics to discuss. It's going to be horrific. It's going to be terrific. It's going to be fantastic. It's going to be great. Uh, there's going to be, uh, it's going to be us. It's going to be the Dorkening. It's going to be that strange show, the horror squad, black and white fright. So there's going to be 40 people up on stage. So make sure you maybe get there. 40, maybe like 35. And, uh, check us out because we're going to be there uh, all weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And uh, yeah, I think uh, we'll get into more detail of what we're going to do after next week. Because uh, next week we're going to be basically recovering from Rock and Shock. So, and we'll give you a, a whole... Uh, next week? 
It's the beginning of Ashtoberfest. Mm, yeah. It's your favorite time of the year. It's my favorite time of the year. We have a lot of fun stuff planned. But speaking of fun stuff, we are also going to be at Rhode Island Comic Con November 1st, 2nd, and 3rd. Mm -hmm. That is at the Dunkin' Donuts Center and the Providence Convention Center down in Providence, Rhode Island. We will be down there with the Dorkening Network. So definitely come and check us out. Crazy guests are still announcing guests. She was just recently announced. Yep, she just got announced a few days ago. Like, that's amazing. I would love to have the opportunity to to meet her. Uh, the following weekend, November 9th, I'm sure you heard the commercial yeah, the that Patsy that we recorded. Made. We are going to be at the Dead of Autumn Film Festival at Platinum City Gaming in Taunton, Massachusetts. Check out throwdownthursdaypodcast.com for more information or check out our social medias. We will be posting some information on there as well. And then the following weekend is Super Mega Fest. Uh, that is November 16th and 17th at the Sheridan in Framingham, Massachusetts. We will be there again with the Dorkening Network doing some fun stuff. It is the 40th anniversary reunion of the Warriors, and most of the Warriors cast is going to be there. So yeah, that's going to be a really lot of them exciting. There. Plus, a slew of other guests have been announced. Carmen Electra is going to be there. Um, it's it's shaping out to be a pretty interesting convention. So that's all we got for you right now. We're working on some more stuff. We have some more appearances that we're working on. Don't and- forget to check out the website for the uh, 31 Days of Women in Horror. So 31, uh, what are we on today? This is uh, the 10th. So yeah, I think um, Diana Porter is today. No, Mandy from That Strange Show is today. Oh, fantastic. Yes, and then tomorrow is going to be awesome. A lot of people are going to be really excited about tomorrow's as well. So uh, we've been getting some good response on this. So keep checking them out. Keep supporting uh, women in horror because they're the ones who invented this genre. So I think with that being said, we We will will see you you next next Thursday.